Hello and welcome to Views from the Market, Mid-Market Private Equity and M&A in Canada. My name is Mario Negro. I'm a partner in the Private Equity and M&A Group at Stegman Elliott. For today's podcast, I'd like to welcome our special guest, Shilpa Mishra. Shilpa is the Managing Director at BDO Canada, and she leads the Capital Advisory Practice at BDO. Shilpa, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me on the show today, Mario. I've been listening to your show for a while, and it is a pleasure to be here today. Shilpa, I always start by uh, asking our guests a little bit about themselves, a little bit about their practice, uh, their firm. So I'd love to start by learning a little more about you and your practice. Uh, Sure. So, Mario, in terms of my background, uh, I have a CPA from Ernst & Young. Uh, I worked for many years at Ernst & Young in the uh, financial services consulting practice with a focus in risk and debt capital markets. I also have an MBA from the University of Oxford. And um, after Ernst & Young, um, I spent over 10 years at the big Canadian banks in a variety of positions, including um, finance, treasury, strategy, and, uh, and lending. What's interesting is that when I when I worked at the banks, Mario, it was an incredible experience. It was such a great training ground. I learned a lot. I made excellent connections. And what was great about the banks is that from a credit perspective, they have very uh, rigorous credit training. So I got to be a part of that training and also got to learn from some of the best bankers um, in the country. Uh, but when I was at the banks, although, you know, we at the banks, we advocated for our clients, we were there for our clients, I was always limited by the risk appetite or the strategy of the bank that I was with. Um, and that was something I struggled with. So last year in May, I joined BDO uh, in, an, in an advisory role. I'm part of the corporate finance practice or what we call the M&A uh, and capital markets. And I lead uh, BDO Canada's capital advisory practice. And what we do here in capital advisory, my team and I, We really are hired by our clients as advocates for the client, and we basically help our clients to find the money. So we are, for lack of a better word, we're kind of like a broker, and we help clients uh, in the mid-market find financing. We help with private placements of equity and with debt raises, and uh, we're able to help find financing with the banks, the alternative lenders, U.S. firms, U.S. private equity firms. And I really like this job because the only limitation I have in this job to help my clients is, you know, what's available in the market. So if it's available in the market, I'm able to help with that. And I guess the last thing I'd say about my background is, you know, a lot of people might say, well, you know, Shilpa, how are are you different from any other capital advisory practice, any other brokerage? Uh, I mean, we're uh, we're part of a large global accounting firm, right? And so we're bound by the accounting code of ethics. So when a client or NFI deals with us, they sort of get that level of service. And we're able to be a one-stop shop. We're able to provide our clients with valuation, real estate and equipment appraisals, accounting. Um, so it's it's been a great move for me. Sure, but one of the things I find fascinating about your practice is the role that you play in terms of being able to support your clients as they navigate through the kind of working through uh, bank relationships and, you know, bank financial terms and financing and one of the elements in the middle market that's key is is that bank relationship. And you know what I find most most interesting uh, about your practice is that's kind of the key of, of where you live is really helping clients to uh, you know work with banks and and really maximizing those banking relationships. And I wonder if you you tell us that because it's sometimes that's one of the what I call the uh, underappreciated points of our market, which is um, you know success with your bank can really 
uh, drive a business forward uh, in terms of being able to grow and being able to foster the tools that they need to grow? Yeah. So, Mary, you know, I get asked that question a lot, right? Um, you know, people always think the Canadian financial services market is quite simple because we have, you know, the five big banks, right? But as you said, in the middle market, what's challenging is that the Canadian financial services industry is highly regulated. So it's always a challenge for our clients to be able to navigate that and find creative solutions to their financing needs, right? Their debt and their equity needs within that regulated environment. So what we're able to do is because I came from the banks, I, you know, for lack of a better, I grew up at the banks, right? So because of my previous experience, I have a bit of a leg up because I know the processes at the banks. I know the credit policies at the bank. I know the people at the bank. So I'm able to help my clients navigate all of that and find a solution and, and negotiate a solution that really works for them because I have that internal knowledge. But beyond that, the Canadian mid-market is also a very rich with alternative lenders, U.S. private equity firms. If the solution for a client doesn't lie with a bank, we, you know, Mary, you and I both know we can easily help them find a solution with an alternative lender um, or a U.S. firm that's doing business in our market. And, and so we're able to provide that wide range of solutions to our clients. And I wanted to ask you, Shilpa, I mean, from your experience, I know in my practice, we're seeing these alternative lenders more. They have different faces. They come in different ways. To your point, how much are you seeing the alternative lenders, these alternative providers? How big of that? I mean, sometimes we think it's only the five banks, but I, more and more, I, I do see different names out there that are helping, particularly in the mid-market clients find solutions. So I, I'm curious from your practice, how often do you end up working with or you know, showing opportunities to these uh, alternative lenders who are interested in this market? Yeah. So, so Mary, what's interesting about the Canadian uh, financial services market or the fin Canadian financial services industry is the alternative lending market is almost as big as the Canadian banks. So of the $1.14 trillion that was loaned uh, in Canada at the end of the first quarter of 2022, 60% was from the Canadian banks, but 40% was from alternative lenders. So that's quite that's quite significant, right? And when people, you know, traditionally thought of alternative lenders, they sort of thought of this, you know, it was sort of the unknown. But to, I work with them every day. Um, the alternative lending market is rich with obviously Canadian alternative lenders. But what's interesting is that the U.S. alternative lenders and U.S. private equity firms are very um, eager to participate in the Canadian debt market. And what we're seeing right now is because of all of the excess liquidity in the market, we're seeing the banks and the alternative lenders, the U.S. alternative lenders, U.S. private equity firms providing debt, we're seeing them give terms, conditions, covenants on deals that, if I can be honest with you, I have never before seen in my lifetime. And we're also seeing the alternative lenders compete on deals that were traditionally bank deals. So if you go and have lunch with an alternative lender right now or USPE firm that's doing alternative lending in Canada or US alternative lending firm, they will all tell you that their competitors now are not just other alternative lenders, but the Canadian banks. So I'll give you an example of a transaction that we just did. Um, it was a very high risk transaction in the construction industry, a client acquiring, you know, three net new businesses. Um, so very high risk, about a 15 to $20 million deal. 
the Canadian banks came with term sheets, but you know, a U.S. alternative lender came with such a competitive term sheet um, that the client really couldn't decide whether they wanted to go with the Canadian bank or the alternative lender. And because of the U.S. alternative lender, um, the Canadian bank sharpened, sharpened their pencils quite a bit. And if I can be honest with you, in the last year, all of the alternative lending deals I've done have been with the U.S. alternative lenders. And we're seeing, you know, competitive rates, um, competitive terms, structures and covenants um, from these lenders. And, and also from the Canadian banks. And, you know, we talk about alternative lenders. I know a lot of them are owned or ultimately, you know, private sources of capital, private equity firms. And are you seeing more and more of those alternative lenders be kind of private equity type debt funds or private equity type institutions that are doing more, you know, alternative debt? Absolutely. And more specifically, a lot of U.S. private equity firms are, are very active in, in the Canadian market uh, trying to do alternative debts. And what's interesting about them is, you know, we, we're going to talk of maybe we can have a few minutes to talk a little bit about where the future is. But in terms of the past, their rates were actually very competitive, almost as, you know, they were on some of them were just a little bit higher than the Canadian banks. Um, so we're seeing some, you know, very strong competition from the USPE firms looking to provide alternative debt in Canada. Shup, I know historically when I've worked with middle market clients, in fairness to you, you, you bring up points that uh, I want to drill down on because we've often said we're limited to the banks, you know, and you're kind of pushing on the point that no, we're not. They're actually, even for a three, four, five million EBIT account, even for, is, is the alternative source open to middle market companies of all sizes or is there kind of a minimum where you're going to get the interest what would be the sweet spot to get this kind of interest of alternative lenders for a canadian deal you know i break that question down in, in the answer to that question into two parts right so let's just take a moment and talk about the canadian banks when i worked at the banks I mean, four or five years ago, everybody wanted to do the really big deals, right? But to your point, um, the banks are now very eager to participate in, you know, in the three to five to 10 to the a million EBITDA companies. And the reason really is that a lot of these companies did very well during the pandemic. Uh, and the reason is that they had strong leadership teams. They were able to pivot their business models to, uh, to, to what was going on in the pandemic. Many of them were able to digitize very quickly. So they've done quite well. So the banks are actually eager to participate in this space. In terms of the alternative lenders, it's a misconception that, you know, they want to do the large EBITDA companies. I, I worked with a company last year and they were a $2 million EBITDA company. And we had many alternative, that was an alternative lending deal for various reasons. And we had five or six alternative lenders provide term sheets for, you know, a five, $6 million deal. We have alternative lenders competing on, on $3 million deals. So the, the alternative lenders are extremely active in the, even in the lower middle market, the middle market, but to be fair, so are the banks. So in terms of, you know, what we're seeing with covenants and things like that, uh, the banks, from a leverage perspective, uh, you know, you look at the funded debt to EBITDA, they're giving two times, three times funded debt to EBITDA. But for, for a good company, we're seeing four, four and a half, five, six times EBITDA. And the alternative lenders are, you know, they start at four, uh, at four times funded debt to EBITDA. So the leverage is very strong, both from uh, the Canadian banks and from the alternative lending perspective. But what's really interesting is when you get into the terms, right? In the past, personal guarantees, 
every every business owner had to give them. But we're now we're seeing upon negotiation, we're able to negotiate that. On, on things like cash flow loans, we're seeing amortization sometimes of seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years. You wow. know, we're doing acquisition financing, shareholder buyouts at 100% loan to value. Land, you know, originally, you know, land was worth 40, 50% LTV, but we're stretching that too. So we're seeing very competitive terms uh, in the mid, lower mid market, mid market, upper mid market, both from banks um, and from alternative lenders. But it'd be interesting to talk about, you know, get your your thoughts, my thoughts on what the future is going to be, right? No, and, and I definitely want to talk a bit because you're leading us into the spot where we want to go, which is, I mean, one of the things to just discuss, have you, with interest rates rising, and it's inevitable that you're probably going to expect this question from me, but you're on the front lines. Do you notice anything with the, you know, the, obviously the interest rate environment changing and we expecting more interest rate increases? Has anything in your practice changed or do you expect uh, the increase in interest rates to change much? What are you seeing and what do you think you're going to see, at least from an interest rate perspective, given that's the talk of the town right now? Absolutely. It's the it's the talk of the town. In April, the Bank of Canada raised their overnight raise by historic 50 basis points. As we sit here today, the Fed has just raised their rates by 50 basis points. I mean, we're anticipating uh, the Bank of Canada to raise uh, rates, um, you know, we're anticipating 625 uh, basis point increases in the overnight rate by the end of 2022 and at least two 25 basis point interest rate hikes in, in early 2023. So, you know, the obvious would be the rising rates will ultimately result in an increased cost of borrowing. And if you ask any of the banks or the alternative lenders at this moment in time, will this lead to tightening of credit documentation? They would say probably not. But our perspective is, you know, in terms of the future, in addition to higher cost of borrowings, there is going to be more disciplined underwriting, more discipline in terms of credit structures, right? And so uh, we're going to start seeing more demand for documentation, more demand for backup. So what we would, what I would say to any mid-market business owner listening now is this is the time to get the credit, right? before things uh, shift, because there is a lot of money in the market right now. It's still cheaper than it's going to be. So if, you know, if a business owner is looking for debt, this is the time because there is going to be a, a tightening of that. Now, in terms of the overall economy, I don't think the economy is going to be too much impacted by the higher rates. Uh, the economy is still very strong. It's going to withstand the pressure created by the rate hikes. So overall, the economy will continue to be strong, but there's going to be tightening in the credit for sure. And you're, you're on to where I was uh, hoping to spend some time, uh, Shilpa, which is that I always ask our guests the crystal ball question about where they see the market is going. And you've already touched on some elements of it, but I'm hoping we can touch a little more on this because, you know, there is a fear uh, in the uh, M&A market that interest rates will slow things down uh, and uh, interest rate increase ultimately will slow things down. I don't know if that's true, but I want to drill down on that with you. It sounds like from where you sit, both from a capital advisory practice and a, you know, obviously BDO has a, as a strong sell side uh, deal practice. You haven't seen that. And so I wanted to get a sense from you, where do you, from where you sit, see the market going and where do you see, you know, the opportunities and the challenges ahead? Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about where it's all been, right? So I would say for any investment banker, anybody listening today, they would all agree that we've never seen so much M&A in our lifetimes. 
right? And this is because of the strong economic fundamentals and the excess liquidity. I mean, just giving stats and numbers, 2021 was a record year for private equity and M&A. You know, our team here at BDO did an incredible job last year. We did 35 deals in just one year, right? Amazing. So proud to be part of this team. Um, in terms of private equity, we saw an incredible like Canadian 14.7 billion invested across 752 deals. Uh, that was more than double of the record 2019 numbers. And what's interesting is that a lot of the private equity and the M&A has been in the mid-market. The mid-market has led all of this, right, with the tech sector leading with PE deals. So in terms of where it's going, I, uh, 2022, we have seen a bit of slowdown in M&A, and that's due to several factors. We talked about the interest rate hikes, inflation. There's been some geopolitical instability around Europe. So we do see strong economic fundamentals and excess liquidity. But the M&A activity, we are anticipating some stress towards that in 2022. But in terms of your crystal ball question, I think one of the challenges in the mid-market is there isn't a lot of what you do, right? This show is so important because it gives data points to what's going on in the mid-market, right? And similar to you, I also host a show uh, on LinkedIn and, and I host uh, a business owner, a mid-market business owner, and they come and they talk about their business. But even just beyond the data points, you know, what's important is that in the last few years of working in the mid-market, I noted a gap in the mid-market where the business owners that I worked with were not being represented in the mainstream media, right? So, Mario, this was a challenge for me because when I started in this business, there were very few women in leadership, in corporate finance, in financial services, and almost no women of color in, in leadership. So representation is very important to me. So uh, I feel it's important that we have the full spectrum of voices in the mid-market to be shown as CEOs so that when aspiring business owners, you know, coming up through the ranks, they see people that look like themselves as CEOs in the media, they think it possible for themselves. So it's great that you have this show and what uh, BDO, the team at BDO, myself, with the support of our leadership team, we developed a show on LinkedIn Live called Midday Money. And every month we have a live show, we host a mid-market business owner, and we work very hard to make sure that all of the voices in the mid-market are seen and heard. And we hear the story from the business owner's point of view. And what's really interesting is the reaction we've had, right? We started with 20 followers and now the show has 3,000 to 4,000 viewers. Each, each show has that many viewers. It's watched across Canada, US and Europe. And so it shows that there's an audience for shows like yours and mine, but really it's that, it's that diversity of thought, diversity of opinion. Um, that's very important for the mid-market. Shilpa, I love your show. I, I wonder if our audience wanted to find it. Can we give them some direction on where to find your show? Where's the best place for them to go to find your show if they wanted to listen to it? Yeah, so I'm very active on social media. Uh, everybody jokes here at BDO that I, I probably am going to have an alternative career as an influencer someday. But uh, in terms of my show, you know, people can add me on LinkedIn and follow me on LinkedIn. And I advertise my show quite a bit. And that's how they can find it. And it's interesting. Most people um, have been able to find the show that way. Um, so that's the easiest way. And what's the show called again, Chippa? Just to make sure everybody's got it so they go looking for it. Yeah, it's called Midday Money. 
And let me just reinforce something that you said, Shupa, that I think uh, is uh, an underrated statement that I can't emphasize enough is the fact that we don't have enough data points and people don't see the full extent of the diversity in the middle market. And so, you know, having more voices being heard and more stories being told. And frankly, people forget in our marketplace that most of the transactions that happen are in the middle market. And sometimes those are the ones that get least appreciated. But there were more, well, I like to say it's the place where most people live. <laughs> in our market. Um, and so it's, it's super exciting and congratulations on, on your podcast because I know it's had a great resonance and uh, and it's it's a wonderful podcast that I recommend to anybody out there who is looking to hear more of the voices in the middle market. So so thank you. And Shipa, thank you for joining us today. It's been great to have you join and to learn about your practice and to learn about the work that you're doing. And frankly, I think it's a great resource to have someone with your experience that can navigate and knows how to navigate navigate working with the banks and the alternate lender. We don't have, as you know, we don't, you or you play a unique role at Armour. We don't have many people who can do that. So thank you for joining us and sharing your perspectives. Really appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Mario. Thank you for having me on your show. And, and I, I just want to end by saying one thing. I'm very, I'm very proud and excited that I work in the mid-market. It's the biggest part of our economy. And we want to work over the next few years to build the largest capital advisory practice in the GTA in the next three to five years. But what's really important to us here at BDO uh, in the M&A and capital markets practice is to build out a team for the practice that's just as diverse as the market we serve. So uh, looking forward to doing that. Thank you. Thank you again. Thank you, Mario.